Welcome to the Social Dallas Podcast. Today you'll hear an uplifting message from our pastor. Our hope is that your relationship with God would flourish like never before. Are you ready for the word today? Well, don't say yes yet. Um, No, today is going to be good. Today is going to be good because we've been in a series. We've been in a series called... I thought you were going to sing it. Can we talk? Y'all know I'm going to say any chance I get. Can we talk? And we've been talking about relationships, relationships, because we've got to do relationships right. And we've got to do relationships the way God intended relationships to work. And so we kicked off the series with this message called Picture Perfect, which is still on YouTube now. You can go watch, like, and subscribe. Uh, It's called Picture Perfect. And we said that oftentimes when it comes to relationships, we are posting better than we're living them. Because it's easy to curate this beautiful picture online, but not actually do the work behind the scenes it takes to have a good relationship. And then week two, my boo, my bride preached so good. I'm telling you, I'm gonna take some more Sundays off. She preached a message called Get Your Mind Right. Get Your Mind Right, because you cannot have healthy relationships if you do not have a healthy mind. And then last Sunday, we had social at home, and we tag team preached a message called All seven of you that watched, appreciate it, (laughs) called Watch Your Mouth, Watch Your Mouth. And uh, we said that communication is the currency of relationships. Hear me, it is impossible for you to have a good relationship and not have good words. Every good relationship has good words. Every bad relationship has bad words words. Nobody is transformed by you telling them how horrible they are. Not a single person. They said, you know what? After you cussed me out yesterday, I really realized that I need to become a better person. It has never worked. Your words have power. The power of life and death is in your tongue. And then today, buckle up your seatbelts because today is the day. We are having the talk, the talk, because we cannot talk about relationships and not talk about sex. Oh, so today is going to be good. It's going to be good. Uh, stand to your feet. Stand to your feet all over this place today. And I want you to go with me to the book of Corinthians. Book of Corinthians. First Corinthians. And I want to look at chapter number six. And we'll look at verses 12 through 20. First Corinthians. Not second Corinthians. Or two Corinthians, if you ain't been to church in a long time. But First Corinthians, we'll start at chapter 6. Looking at verse number 12 down to verse number 20. To give you a little backdrop, this is written by a fellow church planner. I love church planters. A church planner by the name of Paul, the artist formerly known as Saul. And he's writing to this church in Corinth that he had the privilege of ministering in that city, but actually found out that, ooh, things were not going so well. Things were not going so well because they came from a paganistic background and they were, were righteous. They had a genuine encounter with Jesus, but they still had a little ratchetness that they were trying to work out. Some of y'all like, I like that church. I like the church of Corinth. They were still, hear me, trying to get their behavior to come into alignment with the new status Christ procured for them. And that's what Paul is addressing some issues here in the church. And we're going to start at verse 12. He says, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but 
I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Nine verses of scripture. Eight times Paul mentions bodies. Were you counting each time he said bodies? I was. Eight times in nine verses. So I want to preach today, not long, about four and a half hours. I'm playing. We got a 2 p.m. I want to talk to you just from this thought, body counts. Body counts. Normally, I would have you look at your neighbor, but I'm not today. Just keep looking straight ahead. Even online, just stay looking at your phone or your TV. Body counts. Woo, Jesus, thank you for your word today. Holy Spirit, I ask that you really would speak, speak so clearly. God, we're not gathered here today to be entertained. We have come to be changed. Speak to us so clearly. When we leave, let us say it was so good to have been in the presence of Jesus. In Jesus' name, everybody say it. Amen. Come on, everybody say it. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Body counts. I don't know if you're still human enough to experience this phenomenon, but have you ever been completely content with something that you have only to encounter someone who has something else and all of a sudden you feel some type of way about what you have? I thought I had graduated from that feeling, that emotion. I thought I had more maturity, but obviously I do not. Because a couple of weeks ago, I was visiting a dear friend of mine, and I went to his house. I should say specifically, I drove to his house. I drove to his house. I drove to his house that is in Denton, okay? We live in DeSoto. I drove from DeSoto to Denton. I don't like to brag about the expensive places I go, but I had to go to an expensive place, Exxon, to get all the way to Denton. Gas is not cheap. And so I get to my friend's house, I get to my friend's house, and I walk in the door, and I could tell he had this, like, grin on his face, like he wanted me to see something. He's like, hey, how you doing? I'm like, good. He's like, real quick, can I show you my new baby? And I was like, wait a minute, I don't know how many kids you got. What, what's happening? He's like, no, 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 in the garage. 
I was like, oh, let me see. And he takes me into his garage, and right there, parked to the right with bright light shining on it, was his brand new Tesla. His brand new Tesla Y. His brand new Tesla Y. I was like, oh my goodness. And I'm not a hater, I'm a celebrator. I'm like, that is beautiful. That is awesome. He says, no, 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 no. You got to ride. You got to ride. I said, you want me to ride? He's like, yes, you got to get in. I don't know why I got in the Tesla Y, okay? I have never been in a Tesla before, okay? I was born in Cedar Hill, not Preston Hollow, okay? <laughs> my first time. It's my first time in a Tesla. I did not know they made Teslas like this. Y'all, the leather was pristine. It smelled brand new. This thing looked like a Batmobile. It was so modern. The thing started talking to me. It asked me how my day was. It asked about y'all. How social Dallas. It had massagers on the seat. This car was unbelievable. We're driving around his neighborhood. We get to a stop sign. I'm not kidding you. He says, lean your head back. I'm like, what? He said, lean your head back. Lean my head back with no hands. This thing went from zero to 60 in like two seconds. I said, this is incredible. We drive to a park, a park. I'm not making this up. We drive to a park. This man tells me, get out the car. I said, man, what are you doing? He said, get out the car. We get out the car. We start walking away from the Tesla, a good 50 feet away from the Tesla. He pulls out his phone, hits a button on the phone called summons. This Tesla got out the parking spot and came all the way to us. I said, what kind of witchcraft is this right here? Tesla, why? <laughs> so we finished that little drive and then I had to get back in my car. That was a great ride. <laughs> my car that said nothing to me, didn't ask me how my day was <laughs> and has no summons button. And I went home immediately and I went to uh, Taylor and I said, hey, um, I, don't, I just feel led to get a new car. I feel led. Um, gas is expensive. I care about the environment. I said, I think I need to get a Tesla. She said, why you want to get a Tesla? Because you were in his Tesla Y. I said, no, that's not why I want to get a Tesla. I actually don't want the Y. I said, I actually want the Tesla X. See, he had the Y. Can you put that on the screen? He had the Y. I said, I want the X. I don't want the Y. He's got the Y. Give me the Tesla X. Can you put the X on the screen? Hallelujah. There's the X on the screen. I said, I want the X. Then she looked up the price of the Tesla X. She said, no, no, no. We ain't got the budget uh, for Tesla X. Okay, so they got a cheaper one. Give me the Tesla E. Give me the Tesla E. Actually, Sorry, it's not the Tesla E. It was supposed to be the Tesla E, but they changed it to the Tesla 3 because they had a whole patent with Ford and they couldn't get it as the E. But that's the Tesla 3. That's the economy one. And this, she said, no, not that. And then I found out they got a Tesla X. They got a Tesla S. And whew. That's all the models of the Tesla. You thought you were just driving? No. Sexy drive. Sex drive. Here I thought, here I thought, Mr. Elon Musk is just making new models. I didn't know. He's putting sexy on the road. It's the sex drive. And all y'all like trying to Google right now. Uh-uh, let me see. How do you know? How do you know? I'll tell you how I know. I researched. And I found out that Elon Musk, there he is, the maker the maker, the designer of the Tesla had a vision for each body type to spell something out for us. The car body type and the name is a reflection of an image that started in the mind of the maker. Hear me. 
The body features the functions, the capabilities of the car are intrinsically connected and cannot be divorced from the vision of the maker. Now you can do whatever you want with your Tesla, you know that. Everything is permissible. If you got a Tesla, you know you can go and put premium gas in your Tesla. If you want to, it's your prerogative. <laughs> do whatever you want. But that's not the vision that the owner had for the Tesla. His vision was energy efficiency. It doesn't run on gas, but that thing to run, it's gotta be connected to a stationary power source because it knows that your battery is going to get low and you've got to connect it to a power that is stationary, that is consistent, that is greater. And as you connect it and it charges, then you can go in your destiny. Now, I know we're talking about can we talk, but y'all know I didn't come here to talk to y'all about Teslas today. But I do want to talk to you about sex. I want to talk to you about sexuality. I want to talk about sex drive. I want to talk about your maker's intention for your body. Because you do know you are more valuable than a Tesla, don't you? Way more valuable. And before we even start talking about sex, perhaps we should just start right there with the body, the theology of the body. Do you like your body? Somebody said that real quick. <laughs> I'm just curious to know because we generally don't put those two words together, theology and body. We typically separate those things as if theology, the study of God is good, but body, oh, body, no, that's gross, sex. Uh, but, but I think it's important to understand the theology of the body because if Elon Musk strategically put sexy, some of y'all didn't even know it and you got a Tesla, if he strategically put sexy in the name of the car body so that every Tesla is telling us something about the maker, I wonder what our bodies are telling us about our maker. I wonder if our bodies are actually giving us the blueprint to understand this God who created you, who loves you so much. Hear me, the enemy has always been after the body. He's been after you, not just your soul, not just your spirit, he hates your body. He hates, he wants you to hate your body. Oh yes, you know why? Because you have never looked at a single human that does not reflect the Imago Dei, the image of a God. And every time he sees humanity, it is a reminder of a God that dismissed him from the space where he got dethroned because he was trying to take the throne of God. Can you imagine if everybody in the world looked like one of your exes? Imagine how frustrated you would be if every person looked like that's the frustration of the enemy. Every time he sees a human, he sees the image of God. It annoys him. It frustrates him. He hates your body. He wants you to hate your body. The battle has always been for the body. Every time he sees you, he sees God's image. You understand that the only thing that God created in the creation narrative with his hands was the body. Everything he's spoken to existence. Let there be light. Light showed up. Let there be a tree. A tree sprung up. Let there be fish. Fish showed up, but not for humanity. 
He said, for humanity, for this, I have to get my hands on this. He reached down in dirt. He shaped and formed you. That means that the fingerprint of God is on every single person. You have never looked at an ordinary human. I don't care who you call him basic, boo. There is no such thing as a basic person. Every single human bears the image of God. It's always been about the body. After Adam and Eve sinned, what was the first reflex of sin in the world to cover up their body? When God got ready to redeem us, he overshadowed a young virgin and overshadowed her body. When God came to earth, he did not come as an angel. He came as a man and put on a human body and he looked so regular. People did not believe he was the son of God. You realize that he's doing all these miracles and people still didn't believe he was the son of God. Come on, you would think if somebody's walking on water, taking two fish and five loaves and making the first red lobster, you would think, you would look back and go, oh, that's son of God. That's the son of God. Why did they not believe it? Because he looked too ordinary. He had an ordinary human body. He, there was only one time on a mountain he started glowing in the dark. Every other person, he looked like your cousin Pookie. He looked like your uncle. He looked regular, but he was God in flesh. He had a body and loved you so much that he offered that body as a sacrifice. He allowed that body to be whipped and beaten and bruised because he was that in love with you. Even before he went to the cross, in the night of intimacy with his closest disciples, he takes some bread and a cup and he says, this is my body that I give for you. And he did it while his hater was still at the table. I would dismiss Judas first before I talk about this is my body. If Judas is still there, this is my backhand that's about to slap you. And then I do the this is my body speech, but not this savior. With his offender at the table, he still offers his body on a cross, arms stretched, he offered his body. I've always been intrigued with what Hebrews says. It says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Shame. What a word. Sh what, what shame on the cross? Because cross was the epitome of humiliation. You understand? The cross was to humiliate you. It was so everybody could see the criminal. Everybody would stop and look. You understand we have a sanitized version of the cross. There were no loin cover-ups in crucifixion. Your Savior hung, exposed, vulnerable. Why? Because he came to redeem what Adam messed up in the garden. Adam, who made a decision of willful disobedience to die with his bride, not your savior. He said, I'll die for my bride. And Adam's decision ushered in shame and we started to cover, but your savior was exposed so you could be covered and you don't have to walk in shame. He gave his, his body. What I'm trying to tell you today is, is the body count and God wants your body, not just your spirit, not just your soul, all of you, he wants your body. Now understand what the apostle Paul said when he said, I beseech you, I'm begging you by the mercies of God to present your bodies. bodies 
as living sacrifices unto God. This is your reasonable act of worship. God has always been about the body. Now, let's go ahead and address the elephant in the room. Tell me, you know, the church has not done a good job with talking about sex and the body. You should see some of y'all's faces right now. Y'all look so uncomfortable. Some of you look like you need the homelick right now. I'm telling you, the church has not done a good job on this subject. You say, how do you know? Because I was raised in church. Raised in church. Raised in church. And nobody gave me any vision that was bigger about body or sexuality. All you ever heard in church, don't do it. It's nasty. Stop. It's gross. Stop it. Don't wait for marriage. It's gross. Save it for marriage. What? <laughs> so it's nasty. <laughs> and then after one night, after I get married, now it's not. It's holy. What kind of whiplash is that? How am I supposed to go <laughs> from nasty to holy in one night? Because we have messed people up not talking about it. And I think if anybody should talk about it, it should be the church talking about it. We've been quiet about it too long. We should say something. Leads me straight into the first thing I want you to get down. I want to be very practical today. Number one, I want you to understand that God designed sex. God designed it. Because he designed it, we should talk about it. Sex, sorry to let you know, was not your idea. I know, for you to think sex was your idea is for you to think you created the Tesla. That's not you. Or to try to tell Elon Musk, you know it goes this fast, right? He knows. This was not our idea. Sex was God's idea. He is not repulsed by sex. He is not annoyed by sex or your body. It was God's idea. This is fundamental for you understanding sex to know that God designed it. He made it. How many of you know it is impossible for a designer to be disgusted with what they designed? It is impossible for a designer to be repulsed or disgusted by what they designed. Ladies and gentlemen, Steve Jobs did not have an Android. Some of you get that tomorrow. He had an Apple, he had an iPhone. I have never seen Michael Jordan in some Adidas. No, 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 if he's gonna wear some, he's gonna wear the thing that has his image on it. It's impossible for a designer to be disgusted with what they designed. Y'all, I'm going to keep throwing this out there. I might get a Tesla. Elon Musk does not drive a Ford. Because it's impossible for a designer to be disgusted with what he designed. And yet so many of you even hate your physical body, not knowing that the way he designed your body was to bring glory to him. Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, I've been really tired. Sorry. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The first commandment, be fruitful and multiply. Do it. Because I designed it. Even before he told them to do it, he blessed them. He blessed them. He blessed them. And it's so funny we talk about original sin, but we don't ever talk about original blessing. Blessing preceded sin. 
Before there was ever a sin, there was a good, kind, gracious, loving Father who looked at two people who were image bearers of the Trinity, the triune God, and he blessed them and he told them, get it on. He designed it. So that's important to know. He was the originator. Now, all y'all that were shouting and clapping, don't shout too soon. Because if he designed it, he defines it. Anything that somebody designs, they have to define it. Hear me today. And this comes from such a place of love. We don't get to define it. I don't get to define I wish I could define it. I cannot. But because he designed it, we have to go by his design. And some of you are here today and you don't believe that he designed it. And that is so cool. Please hear the heart of Social Dallas. This is a place where you can belong before you believe. I'm telling you, that is my heart. That's Pastor Taylor's heart. You don't have to believe to belong here. You don't have to believe what we believe to get a hug or to get coffee or to get a smile. Oh my goodness, give us a church that would just love people because they bear the image of God. I'm so sick of Christians who will hold back their love because you're waiting for somebody to sing like you, shout like you, dance like you, speak Christianese, vote like you vote, and then they get your love? That is not the character of Christ. Don't forget who your God was. He was always with the outcast. He was always with the marginalized. He was always with the alienated. It's so funny. Church people who think they get to pick who God loves and who's in and who's out. No, this is a place where you don't even have to believe God designed it. You can have your own belief and you are still welcome here. So some of you don't believe God designed it. And some of you do believe it. And you're a proud Sunday school alumnus. <laughs> but, but you believe he designed it kind of like you believe, you know, that your parents used to be young. You know, <laughs> it's like, you know, they were. You got the photos to substantiate it. But it's like, yeah, yeah, but you know, it's different now. Like, it was different when you were young. Like, I got different challenges. Isn't that what we think? Like, our generation is so unique from past generations. Oh, yes, technology has advanced, but stuff is still the same. This is why I love Corinthians. I love the book of Corinthians because the stuff Paul is addressing is the same stuff that has to be addressed today. He may as well have written Corinthians to the church at Social Dallas. No, I'm serious, because Corinthians was us, y'all. It was us. Corinthians was the turn-up church. Corinthians was the church that met at Gillies. Corinthians were the church where people came in and like, yeah, I'm going to praise them, but my goodness, my future is somewhere in here today. It was the metropolis at the time. It was multicultural. Oh, I'm, that was Corinthians. And they had a whole group of people who had genuine encounters with God, but were still trying to get their orthopraxy to come in alignment with their orthodoxy. Oh. There's a difference, huh, between your orthodoxy, what you believe, and your orthopraxy, how you behave. There's a difference between your orthodoxy, what you taught, and your orthopraxy, how you walk. And Paul is making a challenge to them. He says, if you put your faith in Jesus, it must have implications through your entire life. The church of Corinthians was like many of us today who love to compartmentalize. That's what you call them, the church of compartmentalization. Because they're like, oh, God, you can have my body on Sunday. But on Friday night at two in the morning, God, you off the clock. Somebody else is getting this body because I have needs. 
Just keep acting like you don't know anything I'm talking about. Like you're just, what? People do that? Compartmentalization. I give this part of me here, but then this part of me, I do whatever I want. That was the church at Corinth. Do you think you have greater challenges than the church of Corinth? Ladies and gentlemen, they had a mountain with a temple on the top that they gave honor to Aphrodite and had a temple with a thousand prostitutes. Just out there, every corner. This is the climate of Corinth. And Paul is appealing to them. He said, no, you've been changed by the gospel. This has got to affect every aspect of your life. It's got to affect your sexuality, not just part. God does not just want some of you. If he is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. You got to give him everything. He wants it all. He wants your business. He wants your finances. He wants your sexuality. You cannot keep the parts you want to keep. He's not like that. He's stalkerish like that. He's possessive like that. He wants it all. So Paul is trying to talk to the tension between their orthodoxy and their orthopraxy. And there was a tension there. And there's a tension today. And many of us think the times have changed. So that's old, Robert. What are you talking about? This is a different day. But I submit to you, God has not changed. God designed sex. And number two, God designed gender. God designed it. It says again, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God designed gender. Gender comes from the root word gen, from which we get such words as generous, generate, genesis, genetics, genealogy, progeny, genitals. A person's gender, biblically, is based on the manner in which that person is designed to generate new life. That is the biblical perspective. This is not Robert Madu. This is the Word of God. He designed it. And we're living in an interesting culture because when we are redefining something that is meant to generate new life, you got to ask yourself, what is being generated since we're redefining what is now being generated in our culture? And is that better? I posit this for you just to think about. Is was being generated better? We saw in the sexual revolution where there was this idolization of the body. I can do what I want. Woodstock. Get it on with whoever. And now we're actually seeing the back end of that because now we don't idolize the body. Many of us hate our bodies because anything you idolize, you will end up hating. Anything that you put before God, hear me today, you will ultimately end up hating it because it never fulfills on its promise. I'm going to teach today. It always lets you down. So whatever you idolize, you'll end up hating. And we have a generation that hates their bodies. People looking in the mirror, hating what you see of God. I wish you could see yourself the way he sees you. So many of us hate our skin and we'll do whatever we have to do to change our bodies because we hate it and it is a diabolical scheme and attack from the enemy to get you to hate what God created. He wants you to hate it. He wants you to look in the mirror and be repulsed by it. Now hear me, I'm all for whatever you need to do. You can't quote no scripture that says you can't have plastic surgery. Do you, boo-boo, but it's just crazy. Some people who are trying to fix something that doesn't need to be fixed preach some places, and before I tell the joke, they already smiling. 
And again, I'm not hating, do you? But don't you want to have just a little bit of movement? Just, just a little bit. A little, a little, I'm saying, do whatever, do whatever you got to do, okay? If blacks start cracking, I might get me a little something too. Right now, I'm just exfoliating, I'm saying. Some of us are trying to fix stuff that's not broken. It's a scheme of the enemy. to get you to hate your body. What is it producing in the culture? My wife and I had something interesting happen that has never happened in the history of our doctor's appointments with our kids. We took our three little humans, and this is why I'm passionate about this, because I have three little babies that I'm raising, and we go to our doctor's office, and for the first time, they were updating the system, and our doctor, who knows us, knows our church, he looked at me and said, I know the answer to this, but I'm sorry, this is a protocol. I actually have to ask this now. He said, what gender do you want me to put down for your kids? I'm just asking today, is, is that what's healthy for the culture? Is, is a minor in a mental or cognitive space to decide whether they need gender reassignment? I'm just asking, what is this producing in the culture? Is that something they want to process? And hear me clear today, our church vehemently comes against hatred and bullying. We love everybody. We say all the time we're a house of prayer, house of presence, and house for people. And hear me today, I might get in trouble for this, I'm not even denying what people feel. Oh, I'm not denying that the feeling is not legitimate and real. I am asking, is feeling a foundation to make a permanent decision? Is a feeling a foundation to make a life altering decision in the moment. It's a feeling, because I'm just saying, oh, I feel different things all the time. All the time. You, you think I feel like preaching to y'all all the time? Have you seen your face from this stage right here? Some of y'all, no matter what I say, and I'm funny, you won't laugh, you just. You think I feel like preaching every time up here? I think every time I feel like, come on, let's give them praise. I think some mornings I'm like, good Lord, I want to sleep in. I'm tired. I don't want to give him praise today. I'm just asking, is a feeling a solid foundation to make a decision on? You think I feel like working out? No. Julie, every morning I feel like biscuits and Krispy Kreme. But I do it. Let me, let me talk about this real quick. Bring my illustration out here. Are y'all good? Y'all okay? Because I want to stay on this because I think it's relevant to the text. Because Paul talks about it, and he talks about food. He talks about food. Remember in the text, he says, a food for stomach and stomach for food. That was actually a saying in that culture. That was a saying that they said in Corinth, food for stomach and stomach for food. And I wanted to bring this illustration out. You know, if I'm going to preach, I can give you an illustration. And let me be very candid and open. There's something that Pastor Taylor and I fight about often in our house, fight about often, and it is the snacks that she purchases in the house, Okay. Here's my frustration. I don't have her metabolism, okay? I do not have her metabolism. She's the only human I know that can eat a whole bag of Doritos and still stay that skinny. I don't know how she, she literally, I've watched her abs get more defined as she eats chips. And I'm telling you what I've seen. That's her crunches. Abs, okay? I'm not built like that. I'm not built like that, okay? If I eat one chip, I see it. So I am constantly begging her, don't have 
snacks in the house, there's going to be temptation for me. Get healthy, snack, because I'm going to snack. And I'm going to get hungry. Some of y'all get in a minute. I'm strategically using hungry. I'm going to get hungry. And it's funny when hungry hits you. <laughs> hungry will hit you any time. <laughs> hungry hits you any day. You can see a commercial and get hungry. Not even be hungry. It's like, you don't even want a foot long, but my goodness. <laughs> is, the lettuce, is the lettuce that good? What do you think about Chick-fil-A? But them waffle fries. Hungry. Hungry hit you late at night. You ever been hungry? <laughs> Someone said, if you're hungry, stop, stop, stop. So I'm going to get hungry. That's inevitable. Ah, so there's no need in me praying hungry away. Wish the church would talk about that. Ain't no need of you praying hungry away. Hungry is a part of my makeup. I'm going to get hungry. Period. It's going to happen. Now, I should say, I do love our seasons of prayer and fasting. Oh, I love it. And anybody who's ever fasted a long period of time, you will know that there's a difference between real hunger and psychological hunger. So sometimes you think you're so hungry, you are not that hungry. Especially the first time you fast, that first meal, you're like, yo, I think I'm going out. I think I'm going out. I can't see nothing. You ain't that hungry, okay? So some of us are so led by our bodies. You think because you feel that hunger, it's legitimate. You think because you have the appetite, it should be satisfied. <laughs> but hunger happens. So I'm always telling Pastor Taylor, please have healthy snacks because I'm going to get hungry. Keep the baby carrots close. Good for your skin, good for your eyes. Baby carrots. But don't bring... Carrot cake. Cause if I see that cake, 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 carrot cake. I saved that for this service. Not the carrot cake. If I am hungry and the hunger's not going away, I, yeah, they got the frosting on it right. Hear me, I am no match for this carrot cake. I'm no match. So no wonder Paul says, don't sit in sexual immorality. Don't think. Bang! Sorry. Somebody's like, oh, that's my cue. Did he just spit carrot out on me in a pandemic? Sorry. I'm so sorry. We finish. gonna watch TV at 11 o'clock. We just need to finish this whole series. You think you're a match for that? No, we just gonna spoon. You think you're a match for spooning? I don't 
care how much Holy Ghost you got. You can. Flint, you got to pull a Joseph. Boy, left so quick, Potiphar's wife, she got his coat. He... This is my version, and I don't think he left like, praise the Lord, Father, I escaped that. No, he's like, Jesus, Lord, Jesus. He says, flee, because it's too much for you. It's too much for you. What do you, what, whatever, hear me. Oh, I wish I could come down there. Whatever you have to do to flee, flee. Whatever you have to do, get off of social media. Whatever you have to do to f change offices, change jobs, whatever you have to do to flee. Never forget a preacher, a friend of mine, you know, preachers make up stories, so I don't know if it's true. But this just came to me, so I'm gonna say it. He said, I'll never forget this preacher said, one day he was on a plane and they were getting off the plane. This beautiful woman was sitting next to him. He's married, has kids. And this lady said, hey, uh, where are you going? He's like, I'm going to stay. She said, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm staying at this hotel too. She said, why don't you come to my room later tonight? Just said it, just said it. She talked about she was in a bad marriage. Said it to this preacher. And this preacher said, on that plane, he said, ah, somebody get her, somebody get her. And ran off the plane. He said, everybody in the whole airport was looking at him like he lost his mind. He said, the reason he did that, he says, because if you don't embarrass sin, sin will embarrass you. It'll be you on TMZ. It'll be you on the front page of the paper because you entertain something that you are supposed to. Somebody say, flee. Gotta flee. <laughs> Gotta flee. Because I'm no match for carrot cake. I can't handle carrot cake. I can do carrots. I can't do carrot cake. And this is what Paul's saying. No wonder he uses the illustration of food. Because that culture in Corinth was trying to bring sexual appetite to food. That was the culture. When you're hungry, you eat. When you're sexy, you sex. With whoever, whenever, however, it's an appetite. And Paul's going, oh, no, 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 no. It's not the same. He said, this is different. He said, you are playing with something that you don't know the power of. He said, because this is your body. And body counts. Every other sin is outside the body. But sexual immorality, you sin against your own body. And God is not going to take hungry away. That's why it's so powerful. And that's why it brings me to what Paul was trying to get them to understand. Hear me, that sex is not just physical. It is not. I don't care. Research, I don't even need Bible for this. Research will tell you this. It's only casual if you actually have actually numbed your intimacy and you go into it not caring. But it is not sex 
has never been and will never be just physical. It's too powerful. It's too powerful. It's not, that's what Paul's saying. He said, do you realize what happens with sex? He says, the two become one. He says, this is a picture of what happened in the Garden of Eden. God put Adam into a sleep. He took his rib and formed Eve. He blessed their union when he said, be fruitful and multiply. And they came together and knew each other, which is what everybody wants is to be intimately loved and fully loved. When they came together, it's the only time the original picture came back. They came back together in the presence of God. Sex is more than physical. You, I think even in our hard wiring as humans and a God that designed us, we know that it's not just physical. You can go to dinner with a girl and not text her back. She'll be all right. Might be mad. Ladies, tell me if I'm lying. <laughs> you can buy her flowers and not text her back the next day. She'll be all right. She might be mad. You can hold her hand. Oh, pinky. Not call her. But when you are intimate and you don't call, she'll call. Where are you? Because she gave herself to you. And some of you, here in my heart, you've been through so much and maybe that thing in you has been numbed. But if you could go back, if you remember that first time you felt married because that's what it is. This is how he designed it. Sex is not just physical. It's never been. I need somebody to explain to me. I'm, we pastor people that we love. If it's just physical, tell me why it is when people are sexually abused, it haunts them, it damages them. It's not just a person in authority doing something wrong. You know how many times I've lied to my kids and repented later? <laughs> no, this is deeper than that. This is you were violated sexually. It haunts because it's not just physical. It's not, it's, it's deeper. Why is it that statistics tell you that when a woman is raped, she's less likely to report the rape than the physical Abuse because of the shame. Because it's not just physical. Why is it that counselors will tell you that most men that have strong sexual addictions, if they do the work in counseling, you will almost always see some connection between an absent father or a father that was there and wasn't involved. What does a dude spending thousands of dollars in a strip club addicted to pornography have to do with his dad not being there? How is that and that connected? Because it is not just physical. Why is it when any person comes and says, Pastor Robert, I need to share something with you I've never shared with anybody before. It is never a stole a toy a Toys R Us when I was six. It's never that. It's always sexual. Because that's the way he designed it. And I'm so sick of the culture trying to pervert or go against the thing that the designer created. I would argue even if I was not a believer, 
that the biblical worldview of sexuality is actually more helpful to humanity than any other worldview of sexuality because it elevates it. It elevates it to say, I cannot be intimate with you physically and then you not fully commit to me. How dare I give you the most intimate place of me, my body, and then you don't give me everything of you. How dare we just live together and we're intimately close and you won't fully give yourself to me. Ladies and gentlemen, do the research. Most marriages fail of couples who have lived together before the divorce rate goes up, not down. Why are we fighting against the thing the designer made? How many heartbreaks? How many walks of shame? How many tears do we have to keep going against trying to fight against the original picture and design? Sex is not just physical. Lastly, sex has a context. It has a context. It is a beautiful thing that God created, but he created it in a context. A fire in a fireplace is amazing. A fire in your living room is a hazard, and people will die. Something that can bring warmth in the right context can wreak havoc in the wrong context. And the biblical context is between a man and a woman who have fully committed themselves to each other. And the vulnerability and the openness sexually is just a picture of every other facet of vulnerability and openness in the relationship. It's so beautiful that in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, this is a mystery. God not only uses sex for procreation between a marriage, for pleasure, hello, but also for a picture. He says, if you want to get a picture of my relationship to you, it's of a man and woman who are committed in covenant marriage together. It's the closest thing you'll get to that. And they were naked and knew no shame. And everything we keep reaching for is trying to get back to that moment where they were naked and knew no shame. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. But I want you to hear me today. I, ooh, I didn't sleep last night getting ready to preach this message because I was asking the Holy Spirit to give me the right tone to preach this. I was praying and checking my heart because I want this truth to be wrapped in love. This is not what I'm saying. This is what the word of God is saying. All last night, I was like, God, help me say it to where it will speak to their hearts. And here's what I'm going to ask of many of you. Don't start to reject the truth because God's speaking to people right now. The Holy Spirit is speaking to people right now. And one of the first things you try to do is reject the truth. No, uh-uh, I'm never coming back here. Uh, uh, reject the truth. And another thing that we love to do with a message like this, 
And when it comes to our sexuality, when we try to do things outside of the context that God created it for, is we love to rationalize why it's okay for us to do what we're doing. You say, how do you know? Because I've done it. I've rationalized. And here's what I call rationalizing. It's rational lies. It's rational lies. Well, if my wife was giving me more, I wouldn't sleep with the coworker. If they were fulfilling my needs, I wouldn't have to go somewhere else. Rational lies. No wonder all throughout the Bible, you will see this beautiful picture of a faithful, a faithful husband who is Yahweh, who is God, always reaching out from the bride. And almost always he connects adultery and idolatry. They're always connected. Even in Isaiah, he says, you've gone to other lovers. You've been in their bed. This is God's heart to humanity. Adultery and idolatry. Because it's all the same. It says, I want this part of you, but you're not fulfilling my needs in this part, so I'll go get it somewhere else. And this is a message of a father who says, Please let my truth heal the rational lies. You want to know how I know? Because I've told the rational lies myself. I was a virgin when Taylor and I got married. And I was proud of my virginity too. You know how church kids are. As if there's a scripture that says, thou shalt be a virgin, you know. We wear like a badge of honor. I was like, I'm a virgin, not by choice, you know. You know, some people don't have an option because nobody's knocking at their door. So you claim that virginity, but ain't nobody trying to holler. No, I'm sorry. Edit that out. But I wore it like this badge of honor, not realizing that virginity is not the goal. Purity is. You can be the most defiled virgin. And that's what I was. Because the rational lie that I told myself is that it's all right for me to look at pornography because at least I'm not out here like some other people sleeping with all these girls. At least I got this and it wreaked havoc on my soul. Affected my marriage. Because that's all it does. Hear me, single people, do not be deceived. What you are doing now, what you choose to say I do or I don't do now will affect the person that you say I do to. There are no such thing as marriage problems. It's individual problems that were brought together. You're working on your marriage now. And it wreaked havoc in our marriage and I had to look at my pride and say, I have this problem. I've been carrying this. And the pain, and the pain it causes. This is not somebody preaching from a place of perfection. This is somebody preaching from a place that says, I know what happens when you take it out of his context. God is not an angry God putting this prohibition because he hates you. It's to protect you. Yeah. 
help me if I were to preach this today. That healing was going to take place. Don't you know? You were bought with the price. You are not your own. He paid for you with his body. And he loves you so much. Are there consequences to decisions? Absolutely. But there is nothing that God cannot redeem. He redeems your body. He'll redeem your soul. Would you stand to your feet today? I'm going to ask, please, that all heads be bowed and eyes be closed. Nobody leaving unless it's just an emergency. Just for a moment, I promise we're going to be done. Paul says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? I love it because there's two Greek words for temple. He could have used the Greek word that speaks to the totality of the temple and even specifically the Gentile court, which by the way is the place that you and I would have to go. But that's not the word he uses. He uses the word for temple that speaks to the holy of holies. The place that was only reserved for the high priest. He said, do you not know your body? It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's with you. And whenever we engage in sexual immorality, we're bringing his holiness into that space. I'm praying today that we would not just receive this message as a try harder, turn from it. The power is in what you turn to. And he says, your body was made to glorify God. Glorify him with your body. Holy Spirit, I thank you that our God can redeem We would like to thank you for being a part of our social global family. Please head to our website, socialdallas.online, and see the many ways you can stay connected with us from around the world.